Okay, Bill, are we ready? Sure, Paul. Oh, wait. Be right back. I need my Avengers omnibus. Uh, where did I put that thing? While Bill looks for that, let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown, and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner... Just say his name three times in an email, and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah! Sorry, sorry, I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow, who put Cap's shield there? (laughs) Anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues, or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey, Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's, It's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad, where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No! Watch out for the repulsor! Ow! Oh! Ah! Ah! Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die, They Just Get Reassembled and Sent to Another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover, and who might stop by? So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga, Acts of Vengeance, the Kree Skrull War, and, oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? Hey, wait a minute. This is the book of the Vashanti. Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hang on a minute. Who put you in charge? And who the hell are you anyway? I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterberus. I'm 903 years old and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? No. In that case, I'll all see. Would you like a jelly baby? My Sarah Jane. Smith. 
This is Duggan. He's a detective who's been kind enough to catch me. You always were an optimist, weren't you? Thank you for the compliment. Hello. Mate in six moves, master. Wait, let me let me warm up my vocal cords. I <clears throat> fucking hate Thomas. <clears throat> okay, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, fuck you too, Shag. Love you, brother. <sighs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Who True Freaks, the Nemanzacore-sponsored show that's taking a year-long look at the many iterations of one of the greatest science fiction characters ever to be created, Doctor Who. My name's Sean Engel, and today, along with some of the greatest talent on the internet, we're going to take a look at one of the more controversial episodes of Doctor Who, Earthshock, a four-part serial starring the fifth man to take on the mantle of the Doctor, Peter Davidson. Well, provided you ignore the whole Doctor Who and the Daleks film. Anyway, before we get to our discussion of the serial, let me introduce my esteemed colleagues who are joining me today. Starting with the Monzacore regular and co-host of the show Back to the Bins, we've got Mr. Bill Robinson. Hey, Bill, how's it going? Good, Sean. Good. How's everybody Thanks. doing? Thanks for making it back on the show. It's good to hear it, man. No problem. Uh, from uh, the United Kingdom, our UK contingent for the show, we've got the host of 20 Minute Long Box and the fantastic guest, along with Andrew Leyland, who is on assignment this week. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Stephen Lacey. Hey, Stephen. Ha- Hello there. Top of the morning. Pit, pit, etc. Yes, exactly. I, I don't have to keep up the exaggerated Britishness, do I? Exa- well, yes, you do. <clears throat> Damn it. Coming after that is my very good friend and semi-regular co-host on my show, author of The Shadow Legion, New Roads of Hell, and co-host of his own show, Butter in the Dark, with his best friend, Derek Ferguson, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Thomas DJ. Good morning, Sean. You know, I I was sitting down to a very well-prepared meal the other day when this weirdo in an ill-fitting silver flight suit... Oh, it was just Shag. (laughs) As he is known to come to your house in a silver flight suit. Of yes. course, no show would be would be no Doctor Who show would be possible without the presence of this person, especially this person who's such a big fan of the Peter Davidson era, the Doctor. Ladies and gentlemen, he's the host of the Firestorm Fan Blog and co-host of the Fire and Water Podcast, along with the ever patient Mr. Rob Kelly. Ladies and gentlemen, the irredeemable Shag. <laughs> I, I appreciate being on the show. Uh, there's really only one word to sum this up: excellent. Ah, uh, you took my line. <laughs> you had Excellent. your opportunity. Excellent. This podcast. I know this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you haven't if you haven't gotten it, we're talking about the uh, fifth iteration of Doctor, the Peter Davidson era, and the uh, show we're going to be taking a look at is Earthshock, which is kind of a controversial one for, well... The surprise appearance of a uh, certain villain of the uh, Doctor Who universe, and also the uh, death of a certain Doctor Who character. But before we get into the show proper, actually, surprisingly enough, we have an email. Uh, I know it's surprising. We didn't even have an email address. So, uh, actually, Sean, email Sean don't read don't read notes from your mom. It's embarrassing. My mom is dead. Oh, oh God. <laughs> I have this terrible, terrible urge to just go, it's email reading time. <laughs> Though I always come out as a pirate on that. 
Well, we can do pirates later. Um, uh, actually, Professor Alan Middleton of the uh, Book Guys show, who's written into, uh, I know, your podcast a couple of times and is actually the uh, representative for the uh, nation of Latveria, uh, wrote in. Wait, he writes to other podcasts? <laughs> yeah, well. I thought you know, we had an exclusive emailing relationship. Well, I know he's he's a big fan of the adventures of uh, Doctor Doom fighting against the uh, the tyranny that is Reed Richards and his band of rogues. But he wrote, actually wrote in this show saying, uh, "Sean, I couldn't find out another email address for you, re two who true freaks." So I uh, hope Guy doesn't get upset for using his address for the who related communications. But uh, just to mention for anyone who does want to write in the show from now on, now that two true freaks has opened up their own website at two true freaks.com which you should all go to plug 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 we actually have a, a email address specifically for the show so if you do want to write any commentary or get in touch with us or tell us shut up sean you can write into the show at who true freaks w-h-o true freaks at two true freaks.com so that's who true freaks at two true freaks.com getting back to professor allen's email he says i'm listening to the talons episode now and enjoying it Good job at wrangling that many people on one recording and not letting it too far to getting it, not letting it, if I can speak, not letting it get too far out of control, unless it totally farts. <laughs> Mother. Possibly. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I need more coffee. Unless it totally falls apart in the last 45 minutes with Shag and TJ, anything is possible. Well, if I recall... Ouch. The Talons episode actually held together really well, even with Thomas and Shag going after each other. So we'll just see how this episode goes. Let's see. He continues on. Uh, you certainly had enough voices on that particular episode, but if you ever find yourself scrambling to fill a seat, I'd love to guess sometime. I've seen all the new who's, read some of the comics, seen some of the old ones, the Tom Baker ones mostly, of course, read some novelizations and novels, and listened to a few audios. And he also uh, gives a plug for uh, the Eyes and Ears blog at blogspot.com, where he has a review of the most recent uh, audio drama he's listened to. He says, again, keep up the podcasting goodness, Professor Allen. And he puts in a little note at the end that he's got some confidential information that the book guys show are going to have a recording session with a certain person from Big Finish Audio. And he's hoping that that happens. So, Professor oh, wow. Allen, writing in. Yeah, uh, the book guys show, if you guys aren't listening to, I know it's, you know, plug in a different show that's not a demons Cord represented show but uh the book guys show is really fun they get a lot of uh a lot of nerdy and geeky people they've had people in from uh, the simpsons on the show uh this guy that they have from big finish is going to be a pretty impressive catch with this hope if you want to listen to some uh, uh good posting out podcasting out there book guys show is one to check out but uh that's it for email surprisingly that we got some so do you guys have any preamble for the show that you want to talk about aside from fuck you shag nice classy you're welcome um just a, a small plug from me just because it's doctor who related uh, an upcoming at the time of recording so it will be released by the time this comes out episode of the 20 minute long box i'll be sitting down with tony lee who's uh one of the doctor who writers for idw he spent i think about three years writing the title and will be making a return to the book for the anniversary um so i'll be sitting down with him to talk about what's going to be coming this was during the david tennant uh run of the book he wrote uh david tennant and the first volume of the matt smith run uh, let as me well tell as you the forgotten miniseries with the art by why the last man's pierre Guerra. 
the the Forgotten miniseries and the first year of the Matt, Smith, Matt Smith stuff are some of my favorite Doctor Who comic books. They're that good. Yeah, really? even uh, better uh, like the, the Marvel stuff from the from the eighties. Even that, or there, I would th- I would say yeah. I mean, well, they they both have their own unique flavor. It depends if you're an eighties guy, you can't beat the eighties stuff. But mm-hmm. this stuff here is so good, it feels like real Doctor Who. Cool. So. Whereas the Marvel comics feels like a fun comic book romp, um, these these Tony Lee's feel like real Doctor Who. Need. Now, so. okay, Shag, since Stephen, since you're both, you know, expanded universe guys. Mm-hmm. Here's a question I always wanted because I, I read a bunch of the uh, the Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they use any of the companions from the series? In the the Marvel strips, uh, it took them up until about the, it was the Sixth Doctor run where Perry finally showed up, mm-hmm. and that's when they started using. Um, I believe it was a licensing licensing thing around the images. Uh, they'd only mm. cleared the Doctor, so whilst yeah. they could print, print you know uh, photographs that the BBC had, they didn't have the permission initially to draw uh, likenesses of people like Romana and uh, the entire Fifth Doctor companions. That's why they made up their own. Okay. That, I that, had no idea. That. That's fascinating. Because there was that weird, the, the Peter Davis and stuff where he had that, like, you know, American serviceman running around with him. Gus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, Frobisher uh, for the Sixth Doctor. And Sir mm-hmm. Justin and Fudge and Sharon and all those other ones, yeah. Yeah, and that, there's uh, a history of that going way back. I mean, even if you look at uh, what's that magazine called? TV. Uh, uh, TV time. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I know the exact one you're about. The first, or second Doctor strips. TV yeah. Zone, TV Century. Something uh, like that. I mean, you you do live over there. You know that, right? Um, yeah, that, that, magazines have been discontinued for like 30 years. I'm only just about to turn 30. I, I've heard of Life Magazine. Come on. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> so this um, anyway, yeah. own Life Magazine. Anyway, go, it, going way back to the 60s, they had Doctor Who strips and even had the first Doctor, but he was traveling around with these two little kids and had nothing to do right. with the companion. So, yeah, this is a, yes, there's a long they, they history They even use the Daleks in, in that first run, if I remember correctly. They had like a, a Dalek stand-in villain. Yeah. Um, Very quickly the they had Daleks. Had their own strip. Um, because they were separately licensed by Terry Nation. Yeah, I I can't remember the name of the replacement they had, but uh, yeah, they they came with their own, which are basically Daleks and all but name. Mm-hmm. So we're a little off the reservation, though. Not a problem. I always love tangents. Um, <laughs> if you guys are ready, I'll go ahead and start up with my uh, synopsis of the show Earthshock, and then we'll get into our discussion. Awesome. Uh, Earthshock was a four-part serial, the sixth of the 19th season, which originally aired in the UK from March 8th to March 16th. It was written by Eric Soward, directed by Peter Grimwade, produced by John Nathan Turner. The cast included Peter Davidson as Doctor, Matthew Waterhouse as Adric, Sarah Sutton as Nyssa, Janet Fielding as Tegan, Jason Warwick as Lieutenant Scott, Claire Clifford as, as Professor Kyle, David Banks as the Cyber Leader. The story begins on Earth with an archaeological team led by Lieutenant Scott investigating a series of underground tunnels where they find dinosaur fossils. 
However, for some reason, the members of the team of scientists, led by Professor Kyle, have gone missing, and Scanner's topside aren't detecting any life forms in the caverns. As Scott prepares to send a search and rescue team into the caves, we cut to the Doctor and his companions in the TARDIS. The Doctor is confronted by Adric in full-on mopey mode, saying that the Doctor doesn't afford him as much respect as his hotter female companions, Tegan and Sarah. Wait, no, I mean Tegan and Nyssa. I was thinking about the alt-rock duo singing the song closer. Anywho, Adric mentions that he wants to go home to his people, a feat that the Doctor claims the TARDIS cannot do. The Doctor lands a TARDIS in the caves, and having enough of Adric's whiny crap, decides to step outside and look at fossils, remarking that one day he should get around to finding out what exactly happened to wipe them out 65 million years ago. The dinosaurs, not the fossils. At the time, the member of Scott's team radios to say that the scanners have picked up more signals in the caves, one of them having two heartbeats, signifying it as an alien. That's all Scott needs to make the assumption that the alien is the cause of the disappearance of the survey team. The doc, uh, Scott finds the Doctor and his companions and accuses them of offing the scientist, but the Doctor leads the team to a section of the caverns where they find the missing, missing bodies as well as an odd metal hatch. But before they can find out what's behind door number one, the group is attacked by some faceless androids who are defending the area. The team engage the androids, blowing them up real good, but not before they transmit a video image of the Doctor back to their masters, the Cybermen. With the threat eliminated, the crew discovers that the object behind the middle door was a powerful explosive that would have destroyed the planet if it had not been for the Doctor and Adric disarming it. The Doctor and the crew then head to the TARDIS to trace the signal that came from the explosive and find that it was directed at a spaceship waiting clearance to approach Earth. But unbeknownst to the ship's crew, the cargo hold is filled with an army of Cybermen who were planning on attacking Earth after the exploding after the explosive would have wiped out the Kittimer Conference, bringing galactic peace. <laughs> the Doctor heads to the ship, is promptly captured, and finds that despite the plan with the explosive being foiled, the Cybermen have a blackup, backup plan, ram the ship into the planet, causing essentially the same outcome. The Cyber Leader strands Adric and the crew on the ship, and shits... He shits, yes. <laughs> Let me try that again again. This was a, a different episode from the one I remember watching. <laughs> this was the scatological episode. <laughs> but when he was done, he went, excellent. <laughs> this was the this serial where Anthony Root said, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> Trying again. Uh, I, liked your kid, I liked your Kittimer conference reference. That was pretty yes, damn funny. You, well, I, I try and pepper it with little things to see if people will catch it. Uh, the cyber leader strands Adric and the crew on the ship and shuts the sh sets the ship on a collision course, blocking the navigation, and then heads off into the TARDIS with the Doctor, Tegan, and Nyssa. Lieutenant Scott, who is still on the doomed freighter, manages to take the bridge and kill the Cybermen holding Adric hostage. Adric then begins to decrypt the lock that was keeping the ship on a crash course in Earth, but, with the but in the process causes the warp drive to send the ship some 65 billion years into the past the time when the dinosaurs became extinct. Adric disables the warp drive, slowing the ship and allowing the crew to leave in escape pods. But instead of going along, Adric stays in order to completely stop the ship from crashing. Scott and crew in the escape pods radio the doctor and tell him of Adric's attempt to stop the freighter, which angers the cyber leader, causing him to try and kill the TARDIS crew. But the doctor, in a bit of foreshadowing played out, crushes Adric's gold-plated badge in the cyber leader's chest, screwing with his respiratory system and allowing the companions to wrest control of some of the guns from the other Cybermen and end their detention. The Doctor tries to pilot the TARDIS to save Adric, but the firefight damaged the controls, making it impossible to reach the freighter. 
but as Adric has almost decrypted the lock on the ship's navigational computer, a wounded Cyberman bursts into the bridge and fires at Adric. The shot misses him, but hits the keyboard control instead, ending the possibility of the boy stopping the collision. Back on the TARDIS, we see a hopeless doctor, Tegan and Issa, stare at the ship as it collides with the Earth, creating a massive explosion and killing their friend. The credits then roll in silence, with the image focused on Adric's broken badge lying on the floor. And that, despite my hopefully edited out uh, pauses and mess-ups, is the uh, synopsis of Earthshot. What do you guys think about this episode? Excellent. <laughs> it's all right. First off, no. I would kill to see Peter Davison traveling with Tegan and Sarah. Okay. There's I a bunch of episodes with that. You mean no, Tegan no, no, and no, no. Sarah, the actual group? Oh, Sarah. Yeah. I was thinking Sarah but, Sutton. Okay, yeah. never mind. <laughs> no, no. Never mind. Okay, I'm with Joe you. totally went, went flat. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. Too. I was on mute. <laughs> that joke I, was I, excellent. <laughs> well hold on before we jump into the, the episode proper um, maybe we could give a little sort of thoughts on the Davison era that sounds good yeah uh, okay. we'll go ahead and leave that up to the people who actually like Peter Davison uh, Shag <laughs> uh, I think I'm, I've got a compatriot here with me don't I on this I'm kind of neutral I'm Switzerland <laughs> those damn Neutronians <laughs> But the Davison era was sort of a it was a complex time for the show itself. I mean, you, you had John Nathan Turner, who was leading the show, who was really trying to push a brand, which is why you had everyone in the same clothes every week. You had you know he, he intentionally structured the seasons to to make sure they hit certain characters, certain villains. He was trying to build the show for an international audience. And, and, and the flip side is you had Peter Davison, who was just trying to play the role, a very young actor who had just come off of you know being well-known for all creatures great and small and other things. So he, he was one of the doctors who came to the series as a known actor. And um, he was also stepping out into the shoes after Tom Baker, which was, you know, no one really wanted to do that. And he guy was a, you know international icon. So it's, Davison played the role very differently than Baker. Rather than being crazy and zany and unpredictable, he played the very um, proper Englishman. He played a gentleman. He played someone who was always going to be your friend, was always going to do the right thing, and often at his own expense. I mean, he was frequently shoved to the ground and threatened to have his head chopped off or you know, beaten up or you know, just always on the losing side of a battle until the very end of the story. So it, he was a very different doctor. Now, for me personally, I really like him, but I'll, I'll try and leave a lot of that out. But uh, you... you he also had a very, very full TARDIS. You know, he had Adric, Nyssa, and Tegan. And since the first Doctor, I think, if anyone correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they'd ever had three companions since um, since second William Doctor. Hartnett. The second Doctor had three? The uh, second Doctor had Polly, oh, Ben, and Jamie for a short time. Very that's briefly, true. yeah. That's true. Those were just kind of hanger-ons from the first Doctor anyway, though. So, uh, but there, there'd never been more than one companion in the TARDIS. I'm not counting K9 at this point since uh, the first year of Tom Baker's run. Yeah, it had all then gone down to one. And, and quite frankly, the writers didn't know what to do with all these companions. So rather than each of them having an engaging story, uh, you know, some of them were left ignored. Some of them were just paired up and said, "You guys go over here and do this." So there was a lot of wasted time with this many people running around the TARDIS. That's that famous instance of Nyssa in the story Kinder basically sleeping through the entire story because uh, she has no part to play. Well, she's basically locked in the TARDIS for about a third to a, to a half of this episode. 
and looking very pissed off about it. Well, and Adric spent a large amount of time in this episode locked up in the TARDIS too. So, although character-wise, he had a reason to be there. He was sulking and doing math. They sure. <laughs> I think that was just a forced reason to put people somewhere. But uh, so you, you get a situation where you've got a lot. It's honestly, you know, this one sort of reminds me of um, the Doctor Who movie in that it start it has a first thirty minutes are pretty engaging. You've got the Doctor's a really good actor. The companions are okay, and after the first 30 minutes, it's not really that good. That's kind of my, I, I feel like a lot of the similarities here, and you see that with Peter Davison. He's very, very good. I think he's an excellent actor. I think he plays the Doctor very well, very sort of action-oriented. And David Tennant summed it up, um, you know, always running around. I think it's, how, how did he say it? Oh, geez. He said running around oh, breathlessly or crash. something. Yeah, and time crash. So, you, you it's, a, it's an era where they were trying to appeal to a younger market. It's an era where they were trying to do a little too many things and really push the brand. And unfortunately, I think you had a great doctor who ended up with some stories that weren't that great and some that were great, but they couldn't realize based on the production values. Um, it's then also an era when how the show was seen changed drastically. It was moved in early 80s away from Saturday night as a, a, a key part of the Saturday tea time viewing to midweek and was then being shown twice a week I think the nights were Tuesday and Thursday although I, I've probably got at least one of those days wrong um, From I was watching production notes they had uh, on, on the commentary they said that it was airing on Mondays and Tuesdays in uh, the UK or in Britain and uh, uh, Scotland but in Wales it was uh, airing on Monday and Wednesday, which caused a problem with uh, episode four because the uh, the British or the people in England proper saw the show, the finale before that, and then someone commented on what happened at the end of the show, causing some problems for the people in Wales. So I mm. can't imagine it would be, it's not like the internet was around. Well, they they yeah. had to have written into a magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, th- things like that just weren't as important but that whole thing of suddenly you're now getting two episodes a week and there's a lot of stories from this era which do feel like they're almost two parts stuck together so in, in Earthshock you've got the adventures on the planet which then turn in the last episode to the adventures on the spaceship mm-hmm. um, to try and take advantage of that it does mean that Doctor Who is up against a massive juggernaut in terms of a show called Coronation Street which is one of our longest running soap operas um, a big primetime draw still after getting on for 60 years now it's a big show and Doctor Who was being put against it it was a fight that it could never win and when you take a look at viewing figures in the 80s there's just a constant decline mm. um, and part of that comes from the move so, Shag, do you, do you think that Davidson would have benefited better if he had only had one companion to play off of and build a rapport like Baker did in, you know, through through most of his run? I mean, that he had too, too many people, there was too many stories to write for all the companions, and he, he just couldn't, it wasn't a cohesive um, style for him, perhaps. I, I think so. I think he never really found his companion, honestly. Like, well, if you look at Tom I Baker. I think he did. I would disagree, Shag. I think he did. Unfortunately, it was in his last two episodes, last two right. serials. Perry. Maybe I don't, I don't. I think I don't. I don't care for Perry much. So maybe I'm wrong there. But um, if you would, you're take always a day- wrong, Shag. Oh, well, that's. I guess that's some people's theory that are freaking insane. But uh, if you were to take Davison and pick him up and drop him in maybe the Hinchcliffe era or something, where he had one companion, really moody, 
you know, sort of stories. I think he would have shown. I think everyone, like, he would have shined like a beacon. People would love Davison's type stuff or, or move Hinkliff to that era, I guess is a better way to put it. But if you get someone like John Nathan Turner, who's running the show at the time, and he tries to do a Hinkliff kind of season, that's where you get Sylvester McCoy's last season, which I applaud them for their efforts, but really it, it wasn't that good. It just looked like someone trying to do Hinchcliffe. So I feel like Davison really didn't benefit from having the show run by, by Turner. I think it unfortunately didn't help him. I, I so. think you have something there, Shaq. I think that uh, if it, let's say, was um, Davison and Tegan, who seemed to be pretty much the central companion from day one. Unfortunately, yes. Um, I would have, or my preferred combination, you know, Davison and Nyssa. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest problem with Davison has a doctor is I got the sense that he never got the chance to showcase his concept of what the doctor was because he was too busy catering to Tegan over here and catering to Nissa over here and catering to Turlo. Let's not forget Turlo, the ugliest man ever, ever to show up on Doctor Who. Um, and he never got the chance to fully take possession when he finally does, it's at the very end of his run when he's only got the one companion, which is, you know, which is Perry, which is one of the reasons why I think that Perry, if they had continued on, the two of them, I think Perry would be much better um, regarded than he, she is. She wouldn't be the girl school screamer who gets her tits out. There's and, something said for that, though. Oh, there's nothing, nothing wrong. <laughs> beautiful tits. Nicole O'Brien had beautiful tits, but... The last um, thing the fish doctor ever saw. Yes. Literally, Pete Davison on the case on his DVD says he's trying to act at his dying moments, and the position means that always just got a face full of uh, Nicola Bryan's chest. <laughs> and there are a number of problems, I think, that prevented Davison from uh, fully realizing his doctor. I think the fact that. Uh, John Nathan Turner, who, shall we say, had a, a bit of an attention span problem um, and was too easy to take impulsive decisions and make them canon. Gee, I really like that, this, that, that Sarah Sutton girl. Let's make her a companion. Not realizing how badly he's overstuffed the TARDIS. Yeah. Um, I think having Eric Soward as the story editor for the bulk of his time was a big problem because Eric Soward as we'll see when we discuss this story never met a massacre he didn't like and that kind of changed the tenor of the show to a point where it was kind of I think a little bit away from what Doctor Who was supposed to be for a long for long stretches I, you, you make a good point there's like every episode seemed, of Davison's era seemed to have some huge downer in it but it, but it also sort of echoed, though, Pertwee's era. Pertwee's era had a lot of episodes where, like, the Silurian episodes always ended on a downer. Right. Um, so it, it kind of felt like that, usually. And I but think the idea think Peter, that... Peter Davison, Peter Davison played that part beautifully, though. When things were just, you know, things did not go his way, you could just see it genuinely in his face. Like, he is seriously pissed. I would not want to cross him right now. And I think another problem was that Nathan Turner wanted... Davison to be the doctor who is more human who made mistakes, but the problem was he made so many mistakes. I mean, you made that reference to the fact that we had in the, this first season um, 
not one but two serials that ended somehow with the doctor about to be decapitated. Right. They um, make a joke about it. He goes, oh, no, yeah, not again. Not again. Uh, I think that that gave the viewer, especially when you watch them, you know, serially, the impression that this doctor isn't really much of a hero. So I think there were a lot of little things that kind of brought it together to give me, I, I make reference to the fact that he's the Perry Como of doctors uh, in a previous episode. I think that it was not Davison's fault, but a lot of elements around him that contributed to this era not being my fate. Now, all the bad things I said about it, it is probably one of my favorite eras simply because he was my doctor. I started watching the show in early 1983. So he was the current doctor at the time. And we wouldn't see Colin Baker episodes over here for probably, at least in my area, for another two or three years. So while I started on Tom Baker, I... Peter Davison was the current Doctor, and that's where I, my passion became huge for, for this character and for the show. So I, I still love the era, but I see all the bumps and flaws. But I'm able and to, to be fair, as problematic as I find many of these stories, some of these stories I think are really wretched, they're nothing compared to how absolutely awful the stories are for the Doctor that follows. Wow. I didn't think and, you were that self-aware. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I'm glad that you're you're actually being, you know, uh, I guess reasonable about this because I know that you, Thomas, have said many times that your favorite Doctor is the the next Doctor, the the Colin Baker iteration. So yes, it'll be inter- it'll that definitely seems- be interesting once we get to that Doctor and see how see how that thing plays out. Yes, but my admiration but- for the Colin Baker Doctor is in spite of everything around him, not because of what's around him. Okay. Well, do we want to go ahead and head into uh, our thoughts on the show as a, as a whole rather than the entire series? Yeah, Thomas and I have talked quite a bit. Let's hear some other folks. Okay, well, you know, I, I enjoyed the show. It was – it did have a tendency to be a bit slow. Uh, as I think, you know, a lot of the Peter Davidson episodes of, you know, relative – there's not uh, – compared to what we watched originally or uh, – in prior episodes like Talons of Wing Chiang and uh, City of Death, these episodes they do have a tendency to drag. But uh, the reveal of the Cybermen at the end of the uh, the first episode was uh, actually kind of a nice thing because the Cybermen really didn't appear. Ex- and the last time they appeared were what in Revenge of the Cybermen in, in mm-hmm. like '75 with uh, the Tom yeah. Baker Doctor. So it was Those nice that they brought guns these. on their heads. Yes. <laughs> well, it's ni- it was nice. It was nice to bring them back because they they had been away for a long enough time that you were kind of glad to see them back. It's not like you know the new Who, where like every season you have to see uh, a Dalek show up practically. So I'm glad that they shelved them for a while, and it gave it more impact than the fact that the the Cybermen were the villains here. So I enjoyed that part of it. Um, anyone else? Um, this was the first time I'd watched this in about a decade. Just because I'd seen it and then it was ticked off as one that I'd seen, so I hadn't gone back and revisited it. And um, yeah, it's not quite as I remember it. I think I've, I've had a tendency to go with uh, the, how the show should be in my head rather than what was actually there on screen. Um, I think it's got to be said, I'm sure we'll come back to this, the Cybermen are 
not at their best, shall we say. Uh, especially the cyber leader. Yeah, the uh, only thing that defi- that there are some neat things that define him. I like the uh, clear uh, section of the mask, which shows their mouth, which kind of represents that they are still human because you see the actual mouth moving. But uh, as for the design, it's a really sort of clunky silver oh, painted no. jumpsuit. No, go ahead. See, I, I really like the design. I like the 80s Cybermen with their massive headphones and that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like that. For me, the disappointing bit is the fact that uh, they're not even attempting to pretend that one of the key elements of the Cybermen are present, which is that they are, you know, they, they were once human, but they are devoid of all emotion of anything that made them human. Uh, and when you've got David Banks overacting as badly as he does, constantly, I'd say mugging at the camera, but because every line of his ends with him facing the camera, obviously his mask can't move, but um, it's very difficult to reconcile that with the, the classic 60s incarnations, or even the majority of the new series, Cybermen. We'll forget the one that cried when she went, I did it for Queen and Country. That, that just that <laughs> never happened. Um, and that, that's probably the, the big weakness of the 80s Sidemen because they're, they're actually t- uh, riffing throughout the 80s on uh, themes that are sort of quite prevalent in movies, things like body horror, things like extreme violence and things like that. Uh, it, it's quite noticeable that this is the first time, really, that they have Doctor Who does like a, a shootout, a laser gun shootout, but it's actually a laser gun shootout rather than, oh, we've got three minutes to fill. Um, we can only board four explosions, so you crouch behind the rock for ages. Now fire one, just the one, miss, now you're good. It was actually a proper pitched battle. No, I agree. Um, there was a yeah, lot more. I, and well, I, well, let's I'm, be honest here. The, the, the first uh, episode is basically John Nathan Turner doing a rift on Alien. They're even using some of the props. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. The, 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 the Nostromo uh, bits of the model were used in the building of the device the Cybermen used to view everything. Really? Oh, wow. I wasn't aware of that. That's kind of neat. Yeah, it, it does have a definite feel of... Uh, well, more Aliens, which didn't come out until like four years after this was filmed, four or five years after this film. But there was that kind of aesthetic of this uh, band of Marines going up against an unknown foe in a strange, darkened place. So, yeah, it did have a sort of alien-type feel, yeah. Um, it, it, I'll go a step further and say that this is... that The, the visuals of Star Wars have had more of an effect here uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how combat is displayed. It's taken the BBC a while to catch up with that, and they're they're finally sort of treating shootouts like you know those bits when with the all running around the Death Star, when rather than let's face it, soldiers in Doctor Who don't have a good history or rep. Mm-hmm. Sorry, unit, but most of the time you were a bit naff, <laughs> um, to use one of Ace's words. The, these guys feel like yeah, with they're on your side, they're dangerous. I do like uh, one thing that I'll mention on design of this of the uh, military group there. I really enjoyed the helmet design. It was actually kind of clever. It reminded me a lot of uh, this uh, game that we used to have in the, in the states. I don't know if you had it over there called Laser Tag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they had uh, yeah. helmets mm-hmm. that had that sort of thing on the side, and the the uh, flashlights, or I guess you'd call them torches over there that they had in the sides of them, were a neat sort of addition. They also had. Uh, 
kind of a look of Battlestar Galactica as well, with the lights being in there, because the Battlestar Galactica helmets from the original series had that sort of light in there to light up the face when they were in the ship. So I like that, ex- yeah. that, that aesthetic design. I'm glad you like those helmets, because you can have great fun watching the serials over the next four or five years and spotting when they get reused, because mm-hmm. it's a, at least once a year over the next four years. Well, I know from... <laughs> I know from uh, uh, the show that they had to skimp and save wherever they could oh, yeah. to keep the show running. So them reusing props and reusing sets and stuff isn't a isn't it, a surprise it, for me. I think, but I think because those helmets are so nice, we tend to those. There's also I can't remember which type of gun it is, but there's a certain firearm that constantly pops up. Well, that's the I think they were using the uh, candy cane uh, lasers with the white <laughs> and red in it. The barbershop right. pole fire. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, how much... Let me ask you this, Steve. How much do you think that, that the effectiveness of that uh, military unit is due to the fact that we got Peter Warwick up, you know, Warwick up in the front acting his ass off? Oh, he's very... Yeah, he is very good. Um, is, that Command, is that Commander Scott? Yeah, that was Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was uh, as you know he was even more of a, a better military leader than I thought uh, than uh, than the than the brigadier actually. I mean, I thought he carried the role as a sort of competent military leader uh, really well throughout this serial. So I, I enjoyed the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing about this show before we go a little further into into scenes and stuff is that. When I saw this when I was uh, young, I had no knowledge, no foreknowledge going into it. I had missed – I didn't know that Adric had died or anything. So when I got to the end of this – Wait, what? Spoilers? What the hell, man? Oh, crap. Oh, man. All <laughs> right. Bye. Sorry. <laughs> Talking about but, a uh, show that is 30 years old, so if you haven't seen it and, and get upset because of our spoilers, well, fuck you. Yeah, Go it's on. not like we're going to spoil the new Star Trek movie. Where we're to, oh, Sorry. Oh, you had to go there. How dare they remake Spock's brain? It would have been so much better. Let the man talk. Anyway, move on. Move on. Move on. Back to you, Bill. No, so when I got to the end of it, it was the first time, and I can't really think of any other time, and you guys can correct me, which I'm sure you will. But, but that's okay, that a companion, that I had seen a companion die, and, and it was it just made me feel vulnerable, you know, because the doctor always saves his companions. And to see this, I think I was probably maybe 13 or 14, and I was like, what? You know, the doctor always wins. Uh, what's going on here? Now, now, granted, Adric was kind of annoying and may or may not have deserved it, but I'm sure we'll discuss uh, Matthew Waterhouse later. Well, why don't why don't we go ahead and tackle that now? Since uh, since it's brought up, you know, uh, Shag, do you want to fill us in a little bit on the character of Adric and tell us, you know, you know what his backstory is and uh, you know why we should feel about his passing on the show or what we should be allowed his passing on the show? Um, well, with his passing, you should get out a bottle of champagne. Let's just make sure <laughs> we're perfectly clear about that. Um, <laughs> he he was a character who was introduced for Tom Baker. And now at the time, they already knew Tom Baker was leaving, so I, I don't know whether they were trying to plan for the next Doctor. Like, sometimes they did. Perry was specifically hired for Colin Baker, not Peter Davison, things like that. I, I'm not sure on that. But I will say that, you know, he was he was supposed to be sort of represent the, the smart, spunky kids that were watching the show and give you someone to relate to. 
just like Bill said, I mean, you kind of felt for this kid, regardless of whether he's good or not. You, you felt a connection. Goes, hey, here's the kid in the TARDIS. That could be me. Is kind of how you felt. And he was a mathematician genius. He, he's from another pocket universe, which is far too complex to explain right now. But he's from a pocket universe, and in um, Alzarian, he, he was part of like a uh, what uh, Mister Fagan and, and his troublesome uh, Oliver Twistine sort of thing kind of group. He's a, sort of a thieving, roguish character for a while. And um, by the time Peter Davison comes along, he, again, the TARDIS is too full, and the roles they've given him are pretty much to be whiny. So he he's not very well liked by probably grown-ups at this point. The kid's probably still related to him. Like myself, I still felt a connection to him. It wasn't until years later I realized how annoying he was. So... It was, I think, you know, now giving my personal commentary, I think it was a real blow in this, to the stomach. I mean, the only people that really had died were Katrina and Sarah Kingdom, and those were with the first Doctor, which none of us had seen at that point. And also, those characters were around for such a short period of time, there wasn't a lot of impact. So Adric was the first one that had been around for a long time that died, and it was quite shocking. And having the ending with just the star, I remember as a kid, I think I cried probably, you know, when, the, when he died and they just showed the star. Like, it made me realize, oh my gosh, the episode's over. The doctor's not going to pull a fancy one out of his hat and save the day at this point. So feeling vulnerable is a very good way to describe it. Now, uh, are we going to? I guess we will save our talk for for the character, the actors later, I suppose. So yes, I would agree. Um, it, it was very much a blow, punch in the gut to me. Now, other people may have had different opinions, but that's how I felt. And uh, Stephen, um, when this yes. was first broadcast, I, I've heard rumors that. I mean, I've heard stories that, that Nathan Turner really, really kept a tight lid on this stuff. That um, this came had that, that the dub there was a double whammy that people didn't know the the Cybermen were on this show, and that people didn't know that Adric, Adric was going to die. As someone who yeah, the the, the uh, just take a look at uh, titles of Dalek stories. Um, from the last, oh, I don't know, say 20 years of um, Doctor Who, the original run, and there's no, all of them are called something of the Daleks, yet it's played as, oh, there's other stuff going on at the end of the first episode, the Daleks arrive, shock, horror, oh wait, we all saw the title. So, to actually have uh, the Cybermen, they return after seven years, I want to say, six or seven years, and to mm-hmm. not have that in the title, and then uh, to Nathan Turner refused to allow the Radio Times to plug the Cybermen's return. I think they wanted to, uh, I don't think they wanted to give a cover, but they certainly wanted to do a feature on them. And he was like, no, no, we, we're none of that, please. So yeah, it well, was I think, a, a good surprise. I think even Nathan Turner, you know, intentionally went to the Times and said, you know, no, we're not going to, you know, he, he, he did a better job than J.J. Abrams did about keeping stuff secret. So uh, credit to him for doing that because I think people were kind of shocked to see the Cybermen come back, and they were definitely shocked to see at the end that uh, Adric passed away or that Adric died. Now, now, do you think that uh, – I want to bring this up. Do you think Adric was given a noble or heroic death uh, in this show uh, kind of because that people had kind of – maybe complained the fact that he was kind of the annoying sort of kid character on the show at the time. What do you guys think about that idea? I think the last straw and one of you guys can maybe confirm this story that I've always heard. The last straw was the incident with the famous actor where Matthew Waterhouse was giving him tips on acting. No, I don't, I don't think Matthew Waterhouse 
Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe someone knows more, but if we're if we're going to talk about the actor, let's talk about the actor. I mean, supposedly, I always heard him and John Nathan Turner were doing it anyway. So that that was his boyfriend, and so you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I'd always heard, and so I don't imagine he's going to fire him over that actor situation. No, it's. I think that situation is more a case of it's a funny story about how naive he was as an actor and how out of place he was in the world that he was in. Okay, so you're not thinking that this was that this was an intentional thing to get rid of him, or uh, well, I mean, I think it was like intentional to get rid of him um, because the the TARDIS was overstuffed. And it was obvious that for some reason both uh, Nathan Turner and Eric Soward fell in love with the character of Tegan. But was his death really, I mean, was it really heroic or just circumstantial? I mean, I mean, well, I mean, I guess he did cause the destruction of the dinosaurs. But, I mean, it, it wasn't really, it was an ambiguous death. I don't really see it as being heroic. Yeah, and... It- even though he did, you know, change the, he didn't change the directory of it. You know, he just changed when the ship crashed in the earth. So he, mm-hmm. he essentially saved the, the whole conference thing that was supposed to be happening. Well, earth. yeah, that's but he true. didn't, he didn't really, you know, uh, and he saved the people. He allowed them to get off the ship by taking it out of port. But other than that, he still, but he had a chance to get off the ship and he ran back in there. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess he thought he was going to save the day, but. In, in the end, it was what really was supposed to happen anyway, which I guess, you know, that becomes a, a fixed point in time. So, I mean, you know, and the doctor uh, let's can't... Let's not throw terms like that around. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think that if you, you look at it, you know, now, look at the story now with the foreknowledge of what happens. It's obvious that Soward is setting uh, Adric up for this. Almost oh yeah, there's the very first. Yeah, we have Chekhov's uh, dinosaur bones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that one. Sorry. Chekhov's gun. I'm lost. From, from Chekhov, Chekhov's play. That if you show a gun in the first act of a play, oh, oh, it has I'm sorry. To go up. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I was thinking you were thinking Star Trek. I was thinking Star Trek. I was like, I know Spock's brain, but I don't know Chekhov's gun. <laughs> That I don't that's know about the these fo- nuclear weapons. That's in the fourth season. Of, oh, of Lord. How embarrassing. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, William, you had the floor. No. Go ahead, Bill. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. We were... Uh, <laughs> no, uh, you're right. There was a lot of foreshadowing with, you know, where this was going to go. And, you know, with... Uh, oh, and it was almost like it was a... Uh, like like a lesson for uh, for the kids too. Oh, here's oh well, here's some here's some fossils. And 65 million years ago, this is how the dinosaurs died because they were too fat and slow. Oh wait, no, that's airplane. Sorry. And uh, you know, so so yes, there was a lot of setup as to where, how this was going to end. Although you know, you don't obviously know in the beginning. Um, I got one question though. Does anybody think that the Marines in the caves were being stalked by the Blue Man Group, or is that just me? <laughs> I just blew myself. <laughs> I might have been watching lots of Arrest uh, Development. As you should be. As you should be getting ready. E- either that, or they were the sons of Gort from da- from uh, the Day of the Earth. Just still. Uh, 
nice cheap. I thought those androids were were pretty impressive uh, as yeah. design and generally how they act. Although there's a bit where they're being observed from afar and they're doing the most overly expressive arm acting you've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. It's like, especially when you compare them to the other android that's in this series, that's in this season, the one from Visitation, and you think that those are like things of beauty almost. The ones in, in Earthshock. Very sleek and very, in the way they move, just very elegant, as well, opposed to the clunky clown doll that we get in Visitation. Well, it's a very simple design. It's just a simple yeah. black bodysuit and a, a mirrored uh, faceless uh, headpiece. So they, uh, it makes them unique where they don't have any facial features and they've got this black bodysuit with the, the hand that shoots the weaponry. So it's it's a simple design that works really well. And it's a it's a nice contrast to the, uh, the sort of very robotic, very tubes, very 80s uh, design of the Cybermen. Well, I actually found myself sitting there looking at them because I like um, I think it was Stephen who said he hadn't seen this in ten or so years. I hadn't seen this one in probably fifteen or twenty, and I I sat there going, "Are those Raston Warrior robots from Five Doctors?" <laughs> you know, because it was so dark and shadowy. I'm like, "Are they silver or black?" I couldn't tell. Yeah. So I, I legitimately sat there and wondered for a while what exactly we were getting. And how how were they killing the humans? I mean, there was like nothing left. Did they dissolve them? Did they burn them? That was gross. I assume it was some sort of acidic yeah effect like, from the projectile that they were again, shooting. Again, more of a callback to aliens, like or or, mm-hmm. or to alien. Well, I mean, even the design. I mean, look at this black, you know, the black bodysuit and the whole giving it a whole kind of like chitinous look to it. Mm-hmm. Which is why, like I said, I think that this whole first. Uh, part of the serial is very, very much John Nathan Turner's Alien. Mm-hmm. I and I, I, I have to I, say, I, I, I Eric Sayward's Alien. Okay, true. I think uh, the way the, the soldiers are depicted and things like that, you see that repeated in his script. Think of um, the, the Peter and Dalek serial, for instance. Oh God. Uh, well, I personally, I enjoyed the first episode more than any of the others of this episode of this story. I thought the first episode was very um, atmospheric, very moody. I enjoyed seeing the Doctor argue with the companions. It reminded me more of New Who than Classic Who. I mean, because in the old days, the Doctor pretty much was the authority in the TARDIS. I mean, mm-hmm. it, other than the first Doctor, when Chesterton would argue with him, people don't really argue with the Doctor. Or if they do, they back down pretty quick. You know, I don't recall the Doctor basically saying, I got to go take a walk. I'm so pissed off right now. And that reminded me a lot of New Who, and it made me feel like he was really connected with the companions. Even his interaction with Adric, it's obviously it was set up for the you know the ending, mm-hmm. but you felt like he was almost like a, a stepfather to Adric. Is kind of what that discussion was. But do you think that maybe the youth of Davison kind of gave that a strange vibe? What if it was if it was an older actor? Maybe that effect would have come out more. Mm, I I think I'm too biased. I don't see that. So, thanks, Shag. Now, now I've got Peter Davidson and uh, Matthew Waterhouse doing the uh, uh, the old Bill Bixby show. People, let me tell you about my best friend. <laughs> okay, uh, the courtship of, of Adric's stepfather. Help. Oh, good lord! <laughs> Moving on, what did yeah. everyone think about the uh, 
the character. Oh, I can't remember her name, but the character who played the uh, captain of the freighter. I thought she was just. Beryl Reed. Oh my God, Beryl Reed. She was just this crusty old. And I've 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 heard that she crusty old basically. She just basically delivered the lines and had no idea what they were talking about. But she She delivered them. Clueless. Yeah, she was. She delivered them in such a convincing way that it actually made for an enjoyable read. I mean, she was a wonderful, crusty old captain character. I really enjoyed her as 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 the captain of the the freighter that crashed into the earth. So, well, you kind of think that she's the traitor by the way she's acting, blowing mm-hmm. off everything that the uh, that the first mate or whatever what was his name uh, Ringwell, you know, was bringing up. She's like, ah, don't worry about it. Come on, we got to get this stuff to Earth. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And then you know you get to big turnaround spoiler that uh ringwell was the traitor all along which damn it (laughs) which just i don't know either he's it just seemed like he that was just weird because i mean he didn't give any indications at all and some of the things he was doing would make you think that he really was looking for a traitor it was just i don't know if it was just the way it was written did anybody else think that too well i think it's fair to say any human traitor to the cybermen never makes sense It just never does. Like, even Vaughn going all the way back to Invasion, none of the human traitors to the Cybermen ever make any fucking sense. It's like, no, there's no way. You know you're going to get killed. You know you are. So. <laughs> I mean, Carol Reed, who was a, she was a musical actress. Who's that? Um, uh, oh. I don't know if I describe her as that. She she's okay. was a, a, quite a respected and famous British actress. Mm-hmm. Um probably best known at this time for uh, the BBC adaptations of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and then the sequel Smiley's Game. She had played a, a part in that as the the uh, um, MI6 uh, agent who had been retired uh, and Smiley's got to go and talk with her. She, um, the same character played by Kathy Burke in the film from a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, she had done uh, quite a lot of radio stuff in the 40s and 50s when BBC Radio was the centre of entertainment uh, in the UK. Um, and she won a Tony Award for uh, a straight role on Broadway. Mm-hmm. The, the problem with, and this is an indicative of another problem I have with uh, John Nathan Turner's run as a whole, um, is that he fell in love so much with having name people in Doctor Who that sometimes he would cast a person without actually thinking, is this person right for the role? Um, definitely why later ultimately... On the oh, sorry, Stephen, I'm sorry. No, I, I said definitely later on in the series. I'm not sure if, I, if that was the case here. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm saying it ultimately led to such bizarreties as Ingrid Pitt trying to karate chop a pantomime horse in Warriors of the Deep. Wait, are we talking about Doctor Who or the Craig Ferguson show now? <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Okay. Um, one of the one of the things that I that kind of didn't work for me was the fact that the Cybermen were all stored on the freighter, the Cybermen invasion force. I understand that yes, they expected the explosion to go off and the Cybermen invasion force would take over Earth. But the fact that they had to rework the plans, which essentially meant that they were going to ram the ship into the Earth and have that be the explosive force, uh, isn't that basically killing off your entire Cybermen invasion force? I mean, I know Cybermen, you can, you know, they're like Doritos, you just make more. But, uh, 
Um, well, that was probably an acceptable loss. Okay. In the grand well, scheme of things, to take out you know take out your enemy before they even become your yeah. enemy. The important thing for the first phase of the plan was to take out the conference before they before the various races of the galaxy united in opposition to the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. It just sounded so, so like you know that, that explains could... the bomb on the freighter. Can anyone explain the bomb on the planet? Plot device? <laughs> Didn't think so. Well, weren't they going to? Well, well weren't they going to blow up? You know, it was it was to teach the humans a lesson, if I remember correctly. Um, this is what yeah, an explosion looks like. <laughs> well, you when it happens at your conference, and it shall be excellent. <laughs> Yeah, but why in the world were they having the conference at like a rock quarry in the middle of the UK? <laughs> it makes no but that, sense. That, that's that's but that's that's not the conference. That's just a random bomb on a random planet being guarded for no reason. No, that was a bomb on Earth. Yeah, it was on Earth. That the just remember after the solar flares, I think all of Earth looks like that, doesn't it? I mean, they don't say it, but if you look back to like um, you know other Doctor Who stuff, uh, uh, the whole first. Uh, Tom Baker series. Where yes, thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure this is post-solar flare. Say again? That's thousands of years ahead. This this is taking place roughly 25th century? Yeah, 26th century. I think they said, uh, Adric said something like 25, 26 or something. Yeah. The, uh, where it's the solar flare the Earth for um, the arc in space and uh, this entire experiment, that, that's that's far further ahead. I'd pull down my copy of a history. If it wasn't so bloody heavy, I'd probably kill myself with it. I was about to say, you're a really big nerd, man. What was Captain Kirk's locker combination? <laughs> Kirk did not have lockers. <laughs> uh, seriously, I am. I have three, I have four volumes of Doctor Who history all written by Lance Park and revised uh, from 1995 onwards because I love that kind of stuff. I know. Uh, Why the hell yeah. am I running this show, Stephen? <laughs> You're the glutton for punishment. Obviously. Yeah. Um. Uh, no, go on. Anything um, else? Talk about the about the episode as a whole. So just just to finish my point then. So okay, the bombs on Earth. So why do they then need a bomb on a, the bombs already on Earth? Why a bomb on a freighter as well? Well, the freighter doesn't have a bomb. The freighter the freighter's a kamikaze <laughs> torpedo. Oh, yeah, yeah it's, is it's the basically bomb. got a, it's it's got the antimatter warp drive, you know, MacGuffin. So there you okay. go. Okay, it basically sense in my head at all, um, and I'm pretty sure the the bomb on Earth is fairly superfluous. If you're going to drop that kind of thing into a planet, you don't really need a bomb that's not going to do that much. Well, Although a generic sour script, wasteland. Here's how I saw it: was the bomb was going to go off and really screw up the planet, and then the Cybermen were going to come in on the freighter, destroy the conference, and occupy Earth. Yeah, that's, that's how the I, way I kind of read it. Yeah, that's how I saw it happen. Okay. But maybe I maybe I interpolated information that wasn't really there, though. And when the bomb didn't go off, the second plan was let's ram the freighter into the the planet. To cause massive disturbances, we're hard. We are hardy enough because we are machine to survive this, and then we'll go do invade. I mean, yeah. For all we know, they they may have been waiting till. Well, I don't know. They were going to walk out an airlock or something and just float in space till and and then descend to Earth or something. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, well, the the cyber leader did uh, say that he was going to contact the the rest of the army, and he said that it was acceptable losses, and that the rest of the army would come oh. in after this. So, okay, I so think there I we remember go. somebody with that. That's the piece um, we needed. Can can I share one anecdote though? Please do. Um, like we were watching. Did you just call me deer? No, I said please do. <laughs> oh, I so he said, yes, dear. yes, Dick. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm used to Thomas, you know, giving me pillow talk, but not usual. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I'm watching it. I watched Earthshock. I'm putting it over your face, Shag. I watched Earthshock with my seven-year-old daughter. Uh, she made it through most of it. And it's so funny to watch her. She, she's, she's watching the show, trying to figure it out. She didn't really understand the first episode all that much because it's just running around in caves. But she kept seeing the scenes of the Cybermen. She's like, Daddy, where are the Cybermen? I'm like, we don't know, honey. That's part of the mystery. She's like, oh, okay. And then the minute they get to the ship, the minute they show the cargo hold, she turns to me as if she's you know, sharing information that I couldn't possibly figure out myself. She's like, Daddy, the Cybermen are on that ship. She goes, if you look at the big pipes behind those people, it's the same as the Cybermen, Daddy. They're there, just so you know. And I'm just like, I love this girl. She's so cute. And, uh, you know, it was just she was so proud of herself for figuring that out. And I thought that was great. You know, so. So essentially what you're saying is uh, Seward writes at a level that uh, a young girl can figure out his story. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the point of old Doctor Who, though. You know, okay. it really was. Um, what what do we think of um, the, the kind of scene which is done really for uh, – probably the second time ever in Doctor Who, but it has now become quite a familiar trope with the Moffat era Doctor Who, which is uh, seeing old Doctors. Mm. Oh, because yeah. we, we got to see, uh, not just see, but have little sound bites as well mm. from William Hartnell, Patrick Tran, and Tom Baker as the Cyber League reviews uh, his footage. Although uh, one of the clips is a lie. Anyone want to guess which one it was? I want to say the Hartnell one, because I don't think they had... Uh footage of the Hartnell uh, show that had uh, the Cybermen in it. Am I thinking correctly? Wrong Doctor, right reason. Okay. Second Doctor. Um, a, a couple of... Uh, right, they didn't have Tomb at the time, did they? Yeah, Tomb and Cybermen had not been discovered until 1992, so we're actually looking at a clip from Wheel in Space, even mm. though they refer to Telos. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. So, yeah, that's one of those things. It's very easy because this was in the days when Tomb of the Cybermen was this great lost classic. I always thought that that, that particular quote they chose to pull from Patrick Trabin was rather odd mm. in the context of the other two quotes. Now I know why. Um, and then the other great callback to the old doctors is towards the end of episode three is the Cybermen are breaking free of the, the whatever they're in. Directly uh, in <laughs> yeah, I can't it's, get yeah, out of this word. bag. <laughs> and yet I am so clean and minty fresh. <laughs> I have but been martinized. <laughs> Scotch God. But... We'll let you talk eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but well, go ahead, very Steve. Of fuck you. <laughs> and of course you <laughs> did not. Together with a double-ended dildo. <laughs> Feel free to do that. It's very reminiscent of Tomb of Cybermen, again, with the breaking out from the tombs. Unfortunately, yes, it also it's shows... It's the... poorly, though. Well, it's not as good. And the, the last shot of the Cybermen walking towards the camera, where it's very clear to see the joins in mm -hmm. where they've done the split screen, to the point where they edit it so badly that as the Cybermen in the middle walks too close to the camera, you see his arm get cut off. I know. <laughs> It's not as bad as, did anyone spot the script reader? 
No. What? No. Oh, yes, I did. Uh, uh, there was a one scene where they're uh, panning up the stairs. Some yep. of the characters walking. And in the, in the background there, there was someone who was sitting there reading the script. So, yeah. yeah it was, uh, I, she's been digitally removed from the DVD. But, yeah, that's one of the most famous bits of, wow, we, we, yeah, that's a fuck up. Now, um, I, I, I was watching the, uh, I got the DVD re- release as well, and uh, there was an option on the, uh, on the DVD to either watch it with the original uh, effects or some CGI effects. And mm-hmm. the CGI effects really aren't anything except for the end where they show the actual freighter crashing into the earth. Instead and, of just blowing up. Instead of just yeah. blowing up. So you get, you know, it, it, it makes more sense, but I, I like the original effects. I thought, you know, I thought, you know, even though the fact that the ship doesn't crash in the earth, the original effects were fine. It didn't really add that much to it, but it was neat. Uh, do you know when these effects were actually produced and when they were added in? Was this specifically for the DVD release? It think would so. have been specifically for the DVD release. They first did it with um, Dalek's Invasion of Earth, where you had the option to watch it with things like they would do a CGI Dalek saucer flying over London in black and white, which is actually quite cool. So they've been doing it sporadically since. Uh, yeah. Did they, did they add a sequence of Adric just going, Ah! <laughs> that would have been great. Wait a minute! Bring me back up! Get me back up! Go okay. on! You know, I've never seen... He's going to save me. He's going to save me. Any All second now. <laughs> as he's about to crash his plates, he's going, Please don't recast me with Manuel in the future. Oh, jeez. <laughs> now, I, I have, um... I have the old VHS copy, but I, I saw it years ago, and I don't know if this was fan-created or appeared on DVD extra or what. I saw this old claymation thing. Episode of, 5. What's that? Episode 5. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, a, yes, um, hold on, I've got some notes about that somewhere. I think it's on the special, the, in the special features of the, of the DVD, the first it DVD release. Yeah. Yes, it was. Adric survives, all in claymation, makes it to the planet, and then doesn't he get eaten by a dinosaur or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a little, like, one-minute clip. Maybe even less than that, but yeah, it's just Adric lighting on Earth and getting eaten by a dinosaur, so... Speaking of Adric's in, um... Alright, Cybermen supposed to be these emotionless robotic beings. Excellent. So, well, besides that, what's up with the the one at the end that basically gives him the big, you know, fuck you. <laughs> After he blows up the console. These were particularly like, avuncular Cybermen. We don't know what that word means. I think they stink. <laughs> That's why it was so quiet. Probably was what the fuck is that? Everybody's <laughs> typing. Yes, they were avuncular. <laughs> exactly, Thomas. I agree. <laughs> what am I agreeing? Good point, Next. I mean, no, they, they, they seem to be, and, and David Banks, there's, there's this hilarious um, interview on the DVD where David Banks tries to justify his interpretation. But they are definitely a lot more um, in touch with their humanness than I think is necessary. Yeah. Um, there, there was a there was a tone to the Cybermen, or at least a concept of them here, which I I felt was 
I quite liked. It was very uh, very sort of topical because it was only a week ago that we had Neil Gaiman's Cyberman episode. Now, I'm not going to get into the merits of, and demerits of that because that's an argument that fandom will be having for a long time. But the idea of the Cybermen is this sort of a forgotten, almost race. Everyone doesn't really care about them because they don't think they're coming back and suddenly they're back with a, a, a you know upgrades, shall we say, and plans and stuff. It, it's I like that idea of the Cyberman. I much prefer that type of Cyberman to an origin Cyberman. You know, the first one who's metal and stuff like that. I, I, I like the redesign. I liked them coming back. I like them, as you said, upgraded. I mean, they really were a much fancier version. Sure, you could argue they're silver-painted spacesuits with spaghetti on it, but I don't care. I think it looked great. The gloves were a little weak. They could have redone the gloves, mm-hmm. probably. But I think they look cool. I thought I felt like they were Except for the fact that they stood in a little room for three episodes. I felt like they were a real threat. <laughs> looking at their dentist drills. I know. I mean, other than that, if you felt like, okay, these are the Cybermen that you want to see. These, this, they're dangerous. They are making hatching a plot. The fact that the Doctor doesn't even know who he's up against yet tells you that they're controlling yes. the situation. They're manipulating everything. I liked all of that. Um, you know, the conce- Conceptually, I really liked this episode. Uh, just in execution, I don't really care for the last 75% much. Oh, what do you and guys to think be of- fair, this version of the Cybermen leads to one of the, in my opinion, one of the most unintentionally hilarious lines in the history of the show. What is that? When have you ever, have you ever stopped to have a well-prepared meal? That whole speech, which starts out okay and like, okay, I understand. It. What? Who gave yeah, that speech? Doc- where the doctor's trying to, to when did, reason when you with ever, the cyber leader. Yeah, have you ever tried to smell a flower? Um, I forget, there were, there were two things, and then the last thing is, enjoy a well-prepared meal. <laughs> well, well uh, what about the way the, uh, the way the doctor takes out the cyber leader? I mean... Yeah, another problem with the sour thing. Yeah, that's not... I mean, is that really doctorish? Yeah, I mean, he seems... Awfully free with the guns in the Soward scripts. Well, every Peter Davidson, every Peter Davidson episode has him holding a, a pistol of some sort, sooner or later, pretty much. If you if well, you watch Davidson's, you sit there and you're like, "Son of a bitch, he's holding another gun." I mean, it just happens all the time in Davidson's yeah. era. Well, I mean, I he blasts him. Sorry. No, I mean he blasts him. I think at least twice. And then when he's down, he's on the ground. I think he hits him like one more for good measure. Yeah, okay, let's just yeah. make sure. That's the bit I was going to say. Watching him plug the Cyberman in the chest was not overly pleasant. That's to be said. It wasn't very doctorish, but I, it, it was cathartic. I mean, you, you guys sit there and be like, yeah, but it just yeah. isn't very Doctor Who-ish. But, that but, would have but been... what if it was, let's say, Tegan who did that? That, to me, would keep the... For me, the Doctor should be someone who should not use guns. Mm-hmm. And well, it's that I line from he... the end of um, Love and War he's never cruel or cowardly and mm-hmm. uh, another one for Cornell is uh, guns are the weapon of the cruel and cowardly right that to me is the doctor again, a... again I go back to this this is a problem throughout the Davison era I mean mm-hmm. uh, the, the Dalek episode he's got a gun on Davros um, he picks up a pistol in another in also and shoots at a Dalek mutant in, in that in the Dalek one. I mean, there's he, they they wrote the scripts in that he was constantly using firearms. I guess they were just feeling the pressure of the 80s. Is all I can think. 
um, to be the you know the bigger, badder, explosive type stuff. That's all I can imagine because it, it happened a lot. Mm. And I don't I don't condone it. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that it uh, it was just t- the time. I think. Yeah, I can I can agree with Shag with that. It is sort of the time where heroism at the time was more associated with people being able to blow you away with big guns and you know uh, you know your your arguments weren't reasoned arguments your arguments were solved by you know shootouts and gunplay and all that so maybe it was them feeling a bit of the pressure from you know the sort of movies at the time indiana jones and things mm-hmm. like that yeah but do we have any other discussion about uh the show or the characters anything anyone else want to get in about this what did people make of colonial marine Tegan? that little outfit she had on yeah yeah. She finally got to wear different clothes. I actually think it was an improvement, to be honest. I, I always got the impression that, that that flight uniform did not quite fit her correctly. Dead air. That's how we all okay. feel about Tegan. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, no, Tegan is my least favorite of the companions, and oddly enough, of course, she is the one that John H. Turner fell in love with the most. I, I like the Braveheart Tegan bits. You know, he says that in this episode, mm-hmm. and they draw attention to it, and. I like that Tegan's supposed to be his companion, but she never really was. She's it, it, she's been pretty good on the Big Finish audios um, mm-hmm. because they've they've whenever they do a Tegan episode, they like they find something for each actor to do. It, it, it's yeah. not a it's not a waste of actor space. They find something for each companion to do. But here it's she yeah. even even the Doctor like when she comes back, Arc of Infinity, even he's exasperated by her coming back. He's like, oh, oh. yeah, I really. I thought I got rid of you. Exactly. I've noticed throughout this course, entire episode. The, uh, I mean, you notice how at the end of the time was flight, line in. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Stephen. I was just going to say, it's that throwaway line from the Neil Gaiman Simon episode where he just goes, I spent years trying to get a gobby Australian back to Heathrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've noticed throughout I, I this how entire the episode. Time we flight, when she says, I'm done, I'm done. And he's like, okay, so long. See ya. Yeah, there, there's no argument there. He's like, we are out of here. <laughs> I'm done. Boom, doctor. Oh. Um, just uh, one thing we should say about Tegan, this is the first uh, episode where Peter Davison uses what would become one of his catchphrases, um, Braveheart Tegan. Mm-hmm. See, I, see, I mentioned it a second ago. I was wondering if this was the first time, just because she actually like turns around like, huh? You know, kind of draws attention to it. So I was wondering if this was the first time. I mean, cool. my favorite first. of the, of the companions during the, the Peter Davison era is Nyssa, and she gets almost nothing to do throughout her entire run. She rips off her skirt in the last episode. Yeah, That's well, a big hurrah. That. And, and I, I like the fact that in this, when, when she's stuck in the TARDIS with uh, the, the the doughy, kind of sad-faced archaeologist girl, for most of the series, she looks actively annoyed. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, yeah, Chicken and Nissa were basically given pretty much nothing to do except, you know, uh, the do you know uh, exposit lines off with the doctor so it's not really a, a very the companions are woefully misused in this aside from adric and you kind of expect this being adric's ending you know he's going to be pretty much front and center in the show uh there's a stupid crying thing at the end too where like Nissa's is crying on tegan's shoulder and then tegan goes to the doctor and says can we fix this and the doctor's like no or whatever and as so she turns on it's her turn to cry it's like oh come on that's a little staged Mm-hmm. I always found the Tegan Nissa relationship kind of weird because if you ever 
in all the shots of their shared bedroom, there's only the one bed. <laughs> well, maybe it really was sort of like Tegan and Sarah then. The there band is a proper the love. She's Australian. She <laughs> sleeps upside down. So, so Oh. Uh-huh. All right, well, I'm going to try and wrap this up And on that note. Does anyone have any uh, – do we want to talk about uh, what the implications of having Adric die were? Do we want to kind of get into that? More money for the talk- show. Huh? I think we talked about it a little yeah. bit, but, I mean, it, it, it opened the door to allow it to happen more. Uh, but I it think never happened again. New Who, we see that kind of shit all the time. I mean, they don't die, but horrible things – I mean, horrible things didn't – well, actually, you know what? Perry, horrible thing happened to Perry as far as we knew. Um, so it, it's Got like stuck with Brian Blessed for all eternity, right? Ouch. Exactly. Uh, but well, like, well, that's the version where she was stuck with Brian Blessed, but they traveled to Earth and King Irkins became a professional wrestler. <laughs> that was that's the ending from the Target novelization of Mind Warp. Serious shit, Seriously. really? Wow. Seriously, <laughs> that is the best thing I've heard all day. Um. It didn't seem to sort of affect too much in the show. Like, they would occasionally mention, oh, there was Adric, and they'd look sad for a moment. <laughs> and uh, Adric was, uh, was he the last thing that Fifth Doctor yeah. saw before he regenerated? Yeah, before he regenerated, the last thing that the, the Fifth Doctor no, said. It was the Master. He yeah, saw Master before. laughing, but Adric but, uh, was next to the last thing. Yes. Okay. Um, it would be other writers who would deal with the idea that Andrew had died and this was something that the Doctor carried around in, in the expanded media. Um, it, I think he's one of the least used companions to actually appear in audios and yeah, spin-off novels and things like that. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's appeared in one as an actual companion. Well, what, of the, of the audios? Uh, well, no, of the novels. Because obviously the oh, novels okay. aren't reliant on which Doctor and... Uh, actors are available and alive and things like that. He's only appeared in one missing Doctor or past Doctor adventure novel, which was uh, Cold Fusion. And he appeared in one uh, audio adventure, which wasn't Matthew Waterhouse, it was someone else, and <clears throat> they basically... Yeah, what's that? Manuel jo- yeah. It was Andrew Sachs, which is why I made the Manuel joke earlier. Gotcha. And uh, essentially, Adric survived and went on to be crazy, insane, and they had to battle him, actually, is what happened in that story. It's not one of my favorites, uh, but I was happy to see Adric got a horrible, horrible death. So there was uh, a horrible, horrible life, I should say. There was, there is talk though that at Gallifrey this year, um, Nick Briggs said there is talk with Matthew Waterhouse right now about potentially uh, you know, him coming on to do some Doctor Who's. Hmm. It would be uh, interesting. For me, I think the best sort of uh, use I've had of Adric in the expanded stuff was uh, in Paul Connell's first novel, uh, Time Worm Revelation, uh, which takes place in what's initially assumed to be some sort of afterlife slash hell, but is actually the Doctor's brain. And there's a waiting room in it, because, yeah, why not? It's British. And uh, a whole load of dead people arrive to torment the Doctor, you know, like a plethora of uh, unit soldiers and things like that. And at the front, you've got... uh, Katrina, Sarah Kingdom, and Adric all caught in their moments of death. So uh, uh, Sarah keeps aging to death. Katrina freezes in the vacuum space, and Adric just constantly bursts into flames. And uh, later on, go into the the depth of the Doctor's brain, and it's the the guilt is represented by the Fifth Doctor who's been crucified and tied to a tree uh, because of and it's him because of Adric's death. 
and that that was a really good use of the idea that uh, that Adric died, the Doctor failed and lost someone. I, yeah, I mean, some writers have used that better than others, certainly, and uh, I do like it when they acknowledge it as it was the Doctor was at fault, is is how they pitch it, and that that's when it works best, I think. Okay. Well, um, general closing thoughts for the show. What did you think about it? Well, I mean, it is a significant show because of the things that we've cited. But it's not a terrific show. Do you think, it, that, do you think that this is a representative show of the Peter Davidson era? Or do you think this is kind of uh, – do you think this uh, is just an average one or is this a better – show than others or I think it's representational show? of many of the flaws hmm. in in the, the Davison era. I I, I don't yeah, feel I, the same. I, I I think that Davison's got some great episodes, you know, amongst the, the troubles he had to deal with. If if you're new to Classic Who and you want to try some Davison, I would not recommend you start with this one. No. I recommend you start with maybe a Black Orchid or um Jeez, I love more complicated, complicated ones like Modern Undead. That's probably not a good one to start on either, though. I mean, obviously his last one is highly regarded. Caves of Andrasani is great. If you if you're a Tom Baker guy, maybe the way to wean yourself onto this is to watch Legopolis. Then Kavala. that's a great uh, yeah. Do the bridge. return yeah. the Return of the Master trilogy has yeah. a just yes yeah, yeah. so to start with Tr- Keeper Charkin into uh, Legopolis, mm-hmm. then Castrovala. So I, I wouldn't recommend this one to start it. And and even worse, don't go to time flight. That's wretched. <sighs> yeah, so, this was an average I, show. It, it's yeah. Um, we I, we all. I, by the way, for the for the listeners at home, we all want to cover Caves of Andrazani. However, Thomas said if we didn't cover this one, he's going to take his ball and go home. So I was just that saying it, was, it would be just more effective for you guys to, to do it without me. That's all. I didn't say you couldn't do it. Hmm. I'm no, actually, actually, this... go ahead, Stephen. Well, not. Um, I'm going off on a alternative opinion. I quite like this, despite its flaws. Uh, I think it's one of the stronger Davidson serials, and I think it's probably the best modern Cyberman. Well, I say modern. It's the best 1980s Cyberman story there is. Um, the overacting aside, I think the Cybermen are generally pretty decent in this. Certainly more effective than they were in either Attack or um, Silver Nemesis. Um, yeah, we've had fun pointing out its flaws and things like the dodging, the, the really bad editing and stuff like you know, the script reader. I genuinely think this is pretty good. It, it mark, it's a turning point in the show in terms of how it deals with the idea of soldiers rather than just being your friends who will fire a gun effectively. They're actually fairly amoral, heartless bastards who just happen to be on your side. Um, one thing I should have pointed out, this series was broadcast two weeks before the invasion of the Falklands by Argentina. And in, in some ways, the the portrayal of the military and soldiers is very endemic of how Britain was setting up its armed forces at this time, uh, both with uh, their effectiveness or lack of in Ireland, and then obviously once we had to go in and get our islands back. Interesting. So I, I think that it's very much of its time, but I don't think that stops it from being good. It's a very effective first episode, and I think the follow, following three are still pretty good. Did you just say Time Flight's pretty good? No. Yes, he no, did. Why would, I, why would I say that? Oh, you mean episodes one through four of Earthshock. Oh, 
When, when you said the following three, I thought you meant the three after Earthshock. I was going to be like, I don't even know who you are anymore, man. <laughs> when I okay. said the first episode. Sorry, I misunderstood. The other, yeah, ne- never, never, never refer to a story as an episode unless it's Mission to the Unknown or New Who. Well, uh, thank goodness, you know, we've clarified that. Otherwise, uh, next show, Stephen would not be returning. <laughs> I'll just what forget if, about the record like can last Can we time. make it so that Shag doesn't return? Oh, well. <laughs> slip me a few dollars and we'll see what we can do. Um, but if that's all we have, uh, I think next time out, uh, we're looking at going back to some new who, and I think we'll probably have this discussion uh, off air uh, about what kind of episode we're wanting to do next time, and I think it might be a Christopher Eccleston episode. So, uh, if that's all you guys have, I'm going to... Okay. All right, well then, I'm going to assume that that is an out for us. We will probably see you here in about a month on an episode of Who True Freaks. Until then, uh, have a good time, have a good weekend, have a good whatever, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. Shag leaving us. Goodbye. ever. I'm back. <laughs> Goodbye. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts, 
For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.